Welcome to the Bible for Kids podcast with your hosts, best-selling children's author Amy Parker and author and co-creator of VeggieTales, Mike Naraki. If instilling biblical values in kids is important to you, this podcast will help give you the resources, wisdom, and hope to do just that. Now let's join our hosts, Amy and Mike, for this week's episode. Welcome to the Bible for Kids podcast. I'm Amy Parker. And I'm Mike Naraki. And today uh, we're speaking with our friend, Dr. Mary Mann Simon. But before we dig in, we always like to start with a scripture. Mike, do you have a scripture for us? I do. <laughs> and uh, it's from Isaiah. And for us, uh, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's Isaiah 9.6. We chose that scripture not only because it's one typically associated with Christmas, and we're going to talk about your new book, Countdown to Christmas, but also because it's from the book of Isaiah, Telling of the Coming of Christ. It's sort of Isaiah's Countdown to Christmas. But before we talk about the book, we want everyone to know who you are. You're a pastor's wife and the mom of three children and a grandmother to five boys. Yeah. And um, and I might note also that you are Dr. Mary Man Simon. Is that doctorate related to your career in early childhood education? Is that how you started your career? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's a wonderful background, Amy, because, you know, as a mom, it's really handy to have the you know, the street uh, cred that you get from uh, being with kids every day. But the doctorate has really given me the developmental framework. So all the writing that I do, the speaking or whatever I'm doing, you know, I have that kind of understanding of the whole picture of human development. And that's been just very helpful. Uh, Getting a doctorate was uh, a terrible experience, but the best thing is (laughs) I never have to take math again. (laughs) There's a good outcome. (laughs) At what point in your life and career did did you get your doctorate? I earned my doctorate during the years that we were having three children in three and a half years. Oh, my goodness. So I was always pregnant or nursing, uh, sometimes both. Yeah. But um, during the five-year doctoral program at St. Louis University, uh, it was a very busy time. And I was also teaching the first course that they offered at St. Louis University in early childhood education. Oh, my goodness. So the only thing I can say is that I was younger then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I just I, I went back and got my Master of Fine Arts um, just finished actually earlier this year. And uh, boy, being a full time student at this age as well, you know, I'm in my mm-hmm. early 50s. Um, it's like I felt like I didn't quite have as many brain cells as I did <laughs> back in my 20s. <laughs> but it was it was a great experience. And um but uh, I just, you know, I, I love, I love being in school, and I, I appreciated more about it, you know, at this age than I did actually when I was younger. Yeah, right. And when we go back to, I think there's a maturity that we bring. Uh, we might not be as worried about a test coming up or a paper that's due, because we really have kind of sorted through what's important in life. And we prioritize what really matters. So there's certainly trade-offs, but um, grad school is is always good to have done. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. So when did you, um, uh, I I assume this is probably before you started grad school, but when did you start writing? Uh, when, When did you develop an interest in writing? 
I really didn't want to write a book, and I'm probably the only author you'll ever talk with who didn't want to write a book. I told God I was too busy. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Noah said about building a boat, too, by the way. Right, right, and look where it got us. Um, But what happened was we had these three children under the age of four, and we were trying to use devotions with our children every day, and something was not working. It just wasn't it wasn't right. And so what I started doing was writing down on McDonald's napkins or spelling lists, whatever I happened (laughs) to have in the house, um, how God was at work in our kids' lives that day. And then we used those for our devotions. And it worked. They were interested and they were very short because, you know, God can work in small amounts of time too. Mm-hmm. And they looked forward to that kind of family time at night before bed, uh, before the bedtime stories. And so all those little scraps of paper I threw in a drawer and um, that became Little Visits with Jesus that got on the Christian bestseller list. And, um, you know, more than three, mil- three million books later in <laughs> wow. sales. Yeah. Um, that, that's the story of what God can do, you know, and I'm a great example of that because if God can work through somebody, because I told him I was too busy to write a book, and he can do all this great stuff, it's not me, it's God working through us. And that is just such a great takeaway from my life. And I really hope that our children and our grandchildren, those listening in, really get a sense of what God can do through us. I'm nobody. I'm just a pastor's kid from the north side of Chicago. I grew up on the streets of Chicago, went to Chicago public schools. I'm nobody, but God can use us. And that is such a great lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever I think, what am I doing here? You know, I haven't had this work right or that. I think, wait a minute, God can still work through me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, as you were talking about your story from, you know, writing for your kids, I was thinking, man, I needed you during my childhood for devotions because I remember our family devotions. <laughs> and the only time that we could really get together was early in the morning. And so my dad would round us all up at, I think it was like 5 a.m. Oh in the morning. Goodness. And we'd all be super groggy and he'd read through our daily bread devotional, yeah. you know, <laughs> which is and, the which eye is, opener. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> so, so for kids, it wasn't the most ideal thing. So my, I, my, my, my look forward to quotient for devotions <laughs> was not really up there. So yeah. I think that's important to have something that kids really enjoy. Yeah. And, and Mary, I think what you said was, you know, you took things from your daily lives. So I think a lot of devotional time is making it relatable. Otherwise, the Bible can seem like this really old, dusty book that doesn't have anything to do with us. But when you bring it into the here and now, which and you make it the the living, breathing word of God, which it is. But when you really apply it to the kids lives today, I think that just gives them so much more to um to relate to, really, and it makes it so much more applicable for their lives. Absolutely. And you're right, Amy. And uh, with a devotional, what I recommend for people to do is to substitute the words of their children and their grandchildren and neighbors in the devotional, um, write little notes on the page in the book, make it a living document for your family, date it, 
write down the responses that the kids have. And then as they go back through that, as you use that devotional the next year and the next year, that becomes kind of a, a marker of your faith journey with your kids. And it becomes more of a living document. You know, we don't have to do that with the Bible because the stories are so authentic. They are so real because these were real people. And that's what connects in the Bible with kids. These were people who had the same kinds of needs that we do today. They might have worn different kinds of clothes and had different kinds of shoes on, but those little boys and girls grew up with neighbors that they played with. Um, maybe they went down to the neighborhood well to get water instead of you know, getting it out of the faucet. But the needs of the people were the same kinds of needs that we have today. That's why the Bible is still such a relevant book. We don't have to make the Bible relevant. It is relevant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's probably a good place to take a break. We'll be right back with Dr. Mary Men Simon on the Bible for Kids podcast. Wow, the good news in four words by Dandy Daly Mackle from Tyndale House Publishers. Wow, the good news in four words picture book presents the gospel to kids using four everyday words they already know and understand. Wow, uh-oh, yes, and ah. Each of the four words is explained with whimsical illustrations and a clear tie back to the Bible. Even young kids will be able to share the gospel easily with their friends after hearing this story. Additional free resources include downloadable verse memory cards, finger puppets, a coloring page, and printables that can be hung up at home or in a classroom. Wow, the good news in four words comes in hardcover, softcover, Kindle, and iBook formats. Stickers and wow tracks are also available. Visit TyndaleKids.com to learn more. A Child's First Bible, Psalms for Little Hearts by Dandy Daly Mackle from Tyndale House Publishers. With over one million copies sold, A Child's First Bible has taught countless children to love God's Word. Now the series continues with Psalms for Little Hearts. Psalms for Little Hearts retells 25 psalms using simple, engaging rhymes and beautiful, kid-friendly four-color illustrations that will make Scripture personal for kids. Each paraphrased psalm is paired with the matching Scripture verses and references so kids will know where to find them in the Bible. Visit TyndaleKids.com to learn more. So, Mary, this, your new book, um, count, well, you actually have two new books that we're talking about, but Countdown to Christmas, it looks like a little bit of a combination of curriculum and storytelling, combining your two strengths. Um, so just tell us a little bit about how it's laid out and how it works. Well, as you know, Amy, those days before Christmas, kids are just so excited. You can hardly contain them and control them. And I know that children start long before Christmas uh, counting the number of sleeps until December 25th. <laughs> and one of the things to do in those days of Advent, those four weeks before Christmas, is to really do a formal kind of countdown so that the whole focus is kind of in this little verse. I'm ready and I'm waiting to shout, it's Christmas Day, it's almost Jesus' birthday, I'm counting down each day. And to do a little activity, to have maybe a short Bible verse, every day during those weeks before Christmas, because we know that Christmas has become such a commercialized kind of holiday that um, we see 
Christmas decorations with the pumpkins that come out right after back to school. Right. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. To refocus our attention on what really matters. Many of the activities and ideas in Countdown to Christmas regard actual physical objects. It's really hard for young children to understand abstract concepts because they are concrete thinkers. They understand what is they can see and they can touch and they can taste, you know, those things that are real object kinds of things. So when you say there are 14 days till Christmas, it's like, hmm, what's a day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, But if you are making a little paper chain or in some way else taking um, an X and putting it on the calendar or doing an activity every day that is a physical action point for a child, they get a much better sense of that time and space concept because young children really cognitively don't have that. And so a countdown to Christmas can actually help young children develop and conceptualize that kind of mental ability. Um, So it's a wonderful way to focus on Jesus' birthday and help your child grow up too. Yeah, I I remember as a kid, and I don't know what age this started, but I remember, you know, feeling that excitement for Christmas, Christmas coming, and then the day after Christmas, I'd always count it as only 364 <laughs> more days till Christmas. So I'm even beating that back did. to school timeline, right? <laughs> so it's like how do so how do we do that 364 day advent? We'll have to do that next yes. time. <laughs> have to write a book about that. It'll be a really big book. <laughs> Well, and we can celebrate certainly the 12 days of Christmas, because historically that was something, you know, you celebrate until the coming of the Magi on January 6th. Mm-hmm. And if, for example, you read Christmas cards and letters, one each day in the days after Christmas, or you save some of those activities to do after Christmas, like going around to see all the light displays, going to the nursing home and taking some Christmas cookies. Do it after Christmas when those are down days for other people too, Mm -hmm. but they can be up days for your family if you celebrate the 12 days of Christmas. That's great. And so when when you were putting together the book, um, you, you maybe touched on this in, a little bit in terms of your own family, but where did you get inspiration? Is Are they things that you have done with your own family as your kids or your grandkids were growing up? Many of them are. But, you know, when you just think about how can I help my child refocus on the birth of Jesus, you actually think of those ideas, and isn't it great as writers for the three of us, how God plants those ideas in our heads? Yeah. I mean, whether it's hanging baby shoes on the Christmas tree or, um, you know, acting out the Christmas story underneath a tent in the living room or taking your fingers and walking on somebody else's back with just with your fingertips, the trip to Bethlehem like Mary and Joseph did. (laughs) That ends in a tickle fest. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And how wonderful that it's fun. Mm -hmm. 
See, what's happened is the Bible has become so alive and so real for kids through the activities that it isn't that book on the shelf that collects dust. Mm-hmm. It is so real and such a vibrant part of our life. Yeah, and I guess that that's probably part of your developmental training and just that connection between you know, having that physicality uh, associated with with the the cognitive learning, um, it just feels like it brings it home much more. Well, we always have to remember those different aspects of development. There's the social, the emotional, the physical, the cognitive, and the spiritual. Mm-hmm. There are fivefold developmental aspects, and as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles. We can touch all five areas of development when we work with kids. Sometimes, you know, if we're at a soccer game, we're focused on the physical. If we're doing a crossword puzzle or a jigsaw puzzle with them, we're focused on the cognitive and physical. But those five areas constantly interact during development in, as we continue to grow up. And and two, it also incorporates all of the different learning styles too. If you're a kinetic learner or an auditory learn, learner or whatever, um, you're you're you've got something that you can hold and touch, or maybe um, you know even the walking along the back. That's more of a kinetic thing. But um, and you know an auditory learner will like listening to the stories or the Bible verses or whatever. So I love that it appeals to those different learning styles as well. And that's where it comes to using a lot of variety. Yeah. Because different, you're right, Amy, different things work for different kids and different people. One of the most important aspects of this whole conversation, though, is that we're not just talking about kids because our focus might be children, but as children are growing up, we are growing too. And that's a fact that is sometimes forgotten. But even though we can't measure our growth on the side of the closet where we mark our children's growth, we are constantly growing as human beings and as Christians. Yeah. The holidays give us a wonderful time to get back into the Word and really look and see how God is working through us in this upcoming holiday season. Yeah, I know every time I write a book, I keep in mind that I'm you know, not only most of my books are, you know, board books that parents are going to sit down and read with their children. So I keep in mind that I'm not only talking to the kids, but, you know, the parents are also digesting, like when I wrote the Bible storybook, you know, they're also digesting this information as well. And then I, as a writer, every time I write something, I always learn something new every time I write a book. So um, that growth touches everyone. So so what are you hoping that families learn through this process? You talked about that a little bit. Or what did your own family learn um, through the process as they did some of these activities together? We always hope that we come away with a fresh understanding of what Jesus means to me. Through every holiday season, some things are take uh, some years our takeaways will be totally different than we expect. But if we keep ourselves open to learning and open to the direction of the Holy Spirit, it's amazing what God can do. What I encourage families to do is we have a God who cares about the details of our life. And when we look for God, we see how busy he is. What we did when our kids were growing up, 
was we looked for God sightings. And over the dinner table at night, or if it was bedtime, if we didn't, you know, if we had too many activities, um, we would say, where did you see God at work today? We Mm. called those God sightings. Mm. And those times when we were just more aware of the presence of God, what happens in the Christmas season is that we have more opportunities, whether it's the song is playing on the stores we walk into Target or the Christmas decorations we see on someone's lawn. There are more triggers, visual, auditory, whatever, that might trigger those you know, those points of, wow, this is really God working, or this is something I didn't really think about before in the Christmas story. So those times when God is just so present in our lives, um, you can have God sightings year-round, and it really adds a depth to spirituality for people of all ages. Hmm. Well, that's that's great, and um, uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, take a short break, and we're speaking with Dr. Mary Mann Simon on the Bible for Kids podcast. Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, is back. In his hilarious new chapter book series, 10-year-old Michael and his friend Justin sneak into the Dead Sea Caves near the archaeological dig where Michael's dad is working. Michael finds a couple of 2,000-year-old squirrels petrified in sea salt. Hijinks ensue as Michael tries to bring them back to the U.S. hidden in his backpack. What Michael thinks are just cool souvenirs may turn out to be something much more. The Dead Sea Squirrels series is humorous, fun, and filled with character-building lessons. As co-creator of VeggieTales, co-founder of Big Idea Entertainment, and the voice of the beloved Larry the Cucumber, Mike Naraki has been dedicated to helping parents pass on biblical values to their kids through storytelling for over two decades. To find your own Dead Sea Squirrels, head over to Tyndale.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. Dive into the action and adventure of God's Word inside Bible Force, the first hero's devotional. Perfect for young readers, the colorful graphics will capture their imaginations while learning new and fun things about the Bible. Watch as boys and girls alike discover the story of God's original superheroes inside Bible Force, the first hero's devotional. Available now wherever books are sold. Okay, favorite listeners, we are always giving something away. Free books, yay! So to win, check out our instructions on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible for Kids. So you've just released another book that we certainly want to talk about while we've got you, and it is the Family Time Bible. And I'm sure we will see some of the same um, approaches in this Family Time Bible as we did through the countdown to Christmas, but I just love that it's so, the title is just so simple and inclusive of the whole family. Um, And as we've talked, you know, I think it's another way for the family to grow, to learn the Bible together in all of the different stages that the family members are in. Um, What has your family learned from each other and in their different stages in, in studying the Bible together? Well, we've learned that everybody is busy, and if you can't get all together at the same moment, 
don't feel guilty about it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless um, it's 5 a.m. in the morning yes, with the our daily bread. daily bread. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I have to hand it to your dad. I mean, he really did a great job being able to prioritize that. <laughs> but, you know, everybody can't and doesn't. And there's so much guilt laid on parents for not being the perfect parent, not doing something just right. We need to meet kids and families where they're at. And the Family Time Bible is really aspirational. It says, come together as a family when you can. But if you miss a day, don't feel guilty about it. Maybe you can just have time for a prayer. Maybe today you read the Bible story and tomorrow you do the section of questions to talk about it. But use what's here. It's set, the Family Time Bible is really set up as a smorgasbord, <laughs> and it's designed for families today who are so very busy. So if you open up and can do one thing on a page, that's good, because you're still spending time with God and with your child. Yeah. And what's better? <laughs> yeah, and, and and you have um, you include both conversation starters and helpful advice to parents, um, which can be uh, great for families just beginning to study the Bible together. Can can you talk about each of those and how those play into into the the book? Yeah, the notes for parents are really important to me as a mom and as a grandma, because as your kids are growing up. You don't really get the affirmation that you're just so searching for when your kids are when you're sitting on the sidelines at your kids' games and taking to the ballet and soccer and all those other things. You're thinking, "Am I doing the right thing? Is what I'm doing does it really matter?" Mm. And the notes to parents are encouraging little nuggets that you know, say, just keep on trucking. Just do the right thing. If you are opening this book and spending time with your child and God, you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. We just don't have that affirmation until we see, quote, if our kids turn out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're going to make wrong choices. They're going to make bad decisions. But so did we. And That's why Jesus is there. He's there to forgive those times when our kids make those mistakes. And when we have trouble forgiving them, we have to look to Jesus in that, that he forgives us, too. Right. And that's that's... one of the hardest things as a mom. Yeah. And I think that's important to model, too. Um, You know, when you mess up, you say, you know what? I messed up. and, And, you know, Jesus forgives us. You know, like... We need to show our kids that we mess up, too, because, you know, we set that standard of perfection for them where they can't have a bad day or whatever when we have bad days all the time. And, and so, they and they know that. Yes, <laughs> they know yes. that we messed up just <laughs> yeah. as much as we know. So might as well yes. just admit it. <laughs> yes. Where did you learn to say that? Uh, you? <laughs> you know, but um, and, and I think, too, that we put so much pressure on ourselves a lot of times because we think we have to be you know, that it all relies on us. Like we have to be the one who gets our kids in front of the Bible every day. And But but if we just show up, um, I think God meets us there. It's not, it's not really up to us. It's up to him. If we just put forth that effort and show up, it's, it's up to, to God and the Holy Spirit to work in our family and in our kids. 
And it's, you know, it, it, that takes a little bit of pressure off of us, but we just feel like there's this perfect standard that we have to set. But but we're not the perfect standard to meet. You know, Jesus yeah. was the only perfect standard. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Amy. You know, when I was working with Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, um, he told me something that I have translated so many times into my own life. He said, Mary, the space between the child and the television is holy ground. Wow. I can do my best. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Wow. And I saw Fred do that. I mean, he would go back again and again, retaping things that looked absolutely perfect, but he <laughs> tried his best. And I've translated that into my situations. The space between me and my husband, we've been married 45 years, mm-hmm. is holy ground. The space between me and your listeners today is holy ground. I can do my best. I believe the Holy Spirit will do the rest. When we know that God is walking alongside of us, guiding us, when we are open to his leading, you know, that's, that takes off that terrible pressure that we put down on, our, on ourselves. You know, when we feel that weight on our shoulder, I say, turn around, look around. That's God's hand on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with these, with the Bible stories that that you're you're telling in here, obviously, you know, I'm sure you've 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 recounted Bible stories before. But as you went through to put this book together, the Family Time Bible, um, did it? Did did anything new come out for you? New new details in the stories, or a new perspective as you were as you were writing and researching them? Always, <laughs> and Mike, you know that yeah. as a writer and as a Christian, when we're working with God's Word, yeah. we always learn something. Yeah. For this, for the Family Time Bible, it was really important that. I made sure that I was highlighting the character traits of the different biblical figures, um, because I think as we hear so many news stories today, we sometimes forget the qualities we want for our kids. And we certainly want them to be brave like David and courageous like Esther mm-hmm. and obedient like Abraham. but. We need to remember those core qualities because we are so inundated with so much clutter today, visually and auditorily and all over. We're just immersed in stuff. What do we really want for our kids? I want our five grandsons to have core biblical values. I want them to have character traits that are modeled by the, by the figures in the Bible. Um, that's what's really important and significant. You know, when we share Bible stories with our kids, we are using our own value filters. We look through our personal lenses. We know our kids. We know what makes them cry, what makes them happy. We can tell that Bible story in a way that will communicate like nobody else can tell that. Um, And to be able to highlight the kinds of qualities we want for our kids, 
is a wonderful opportunity when we're sharing Bible stories with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so if you could pick one story that every family needed to read, this is such a hard question. I've had this question asked <laughs> before, but I know you'll give me a, I, I know you'll have an answer. Um, what, what would it be from your, from the family time Bible? What would the one story be that you wanted every family to read? Well, certainly the story of the resurrection is, yeah. um, you know, that is what uh, Christianity, uh, you know, is centered around. It's the, that Jesus died for us and he lives for us. Um, every family likes the Christmas story because, of course, we like stories about a baby, especially a baby we don't have to keep quiet at night and put down <laughs> to bed. Um, but I think there are other stories that really are important that maybe we just don't think about. I love the story of Elijah in the cave when he looks for God in the big things of life. And what does he do? God comes to him in a whisper, not in the fire or an earthquake or, you know, these big things. And sometimes as parents, we're so concerned about the big things, we forget to look for God in the little things. And that's a great story that reminds us. Or I think of Rahab, you know, who, who, who maybe wasn't the most virtuous person in the city, um, <laughs> but she helped God's, um, God's people escape through a very creative kind of a way. And we think of the gift of creativity. I think, Mike, of all you've done with Veggie Tales and Amy, all you've done with your books, that wonderful gift of creativity. Mm. Um, those kinds of character traits that we see in the biblical figures, um, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and that was 5,000 men. There were also women and children, you know, there. All these stories are just too good to miss. Mm, yeah. And what an opportunity to share them with our kids today. That's great. So Countdown to Christmas and the Family Time Bible. Um, uh, Dr. Mary Manns, Simon, where can we find your books? Hopefully everywhere. <laughs> oh, look, there's one now. I see it. <laughs> Certainly online. Uh, just go to go online and look for Countdown to Christmas. Look for my name, Dr. Mary Mann Simon. My website is marymannsimon.com. That's M-A-R-Y-M-A-N-Z-S-I-M-O-N.com. Perfect. And um, listeners, be sure to follow our Instagram and Facebook accounts at The Bible for Kids for a chance to win these books from Dr. Mary Mann Simon and really from all of our other guests. We're always doing um, giveaways on The Bible for Kids podcast. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to talk with you and, uh, and catch up. It's been, it's been a little while since we've talked, so um, thank you so much for coming on with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Bible for Kids podcast with Amy Parker and Mike Naraki. Be sure to connect with the Bible for Kids on Instagram and Facebook and at thebibleforkids.com. The Bible for Kids podcast is part of the Way Nation podcast network. Find more podcasts at waynation.com.